Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. Welcome to the Forgotten James White interview. Why was it forgotten? Well, because I forgot I had it until I saw it on my computer this morning. Um, It was recorded at the G3 conference in 2020. And the first half of the recording is lost, like it got corrupted somehow, is maddening. Um, don't know what happened, but all I know is that only half of the interview was on the file when all was said and done. So I, I had put this interview on the back burner to figure out what to do with it. And then life just kind of happened. And uh, besides that, I'm over 50, so I'm allowed to forget stuff once in a while. And anyway, the part that was salvaged begins with a discussion on the Catholic Church and how it claims to be the one and only true church. You know, the church that gave us the Bible, the church with the Pope, who's supposedly the earthly representative or vicar of Christ. Um, and so it's a great interview. He touches on baptism and, and some other things. And, and uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I wanted to take a look at a blog post I just saw today from Josh Boyce. Josh Boyce? Boyce? I don't know. I've never heard his name pronounced, but I do know that he is the guy who invented the G3 conference. He's a pastor out in Atlanta area, and he wrote a blog post that really got my attention today. title of the post is, Dear Christian, Stop Being Winsome. Stop being winsome. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first uh, little section here. It says, according to dictionary.com, winsome means sweetly or innocently charming, winning, engaging. Today, it's extremely common to hear Christians complimenting someone on their winsome words or personality. While there is certainly nothing wrong with being kind or meek, the church must come to understand that winsomeness is not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Certainly the reputation of being a jerk is not becoming a Christian, but being people of the truth and communicating the truth in love is a missing reality in much of evangelicalism. Man, are you more concerned about being nice than being truthful? You know, do you find yourself stopping short of telling the hard truths of Scripture because you think, well, that's just not going to go over well. I don't want to seem mean. And man, I've seen this attitude among Christians most often in the area of evangelism or criticism of evangelism. People are trying so hard to be nice that they leave out the truth, you know? Are you okay with telling someone Jesus loves you, but not comfortable with saying, you need to repent, I don't want you to go to hell? If so, why is that? Like, why is it that it's hard to say the hard things. Well, I think this issue of trying to be winsome has a lot to do with it. You know, I don't know how many times well-meaning Christians have approached me while I'm street preaching or doing my paint board and basically just explaining the gospel to people. And Christians have come up to me and they've tried to take me aside and basically say something like, hey, let me give you some advice. Uh, You need to be a little more winsome or you need to be nicer. And, you know, I've been told not to mention hell, not to tell people to repent. I've been told, like, how, how, to, how to do my job 
by all kinds of people who aren't doing any kind of evangelism at all, but also by some who do evangelism, but the kind of evangelism that only talks about the love of God and never touches on the reason we sh- we should care that God loves us, that he could forgive us of our sin. You know, so, so many people just avoid any kind of what they see negative or, or mean aspects of the gospel. They don't want to talk about judgment or sin or repentance or hell. And, and in their mind, they think those things are kind of mean and God is nice. And so I'm just going to talk about the nice stuff. And for whatever reason, many Christians, as well as unbelievers, think that you're supposed to be just all nice and smiles all the time and, and basically have a fake smile on your face 24-7. And, and that's just not biblical, right? I'm not saying that it's wrong if you're really like that. But what I am saying is it's not realistic and it's not biblical to think that if you're a Christian and you're doing evangelism, you need to be nice all the time. Let's go back to this article here. It says, Winsomeness can silence the church's prophetic tone. Today, the tone police are working overtime. If you dare share the truth on social media, you will be muzzled, silenced, and canceled. We are being conditioned by the mob to be winsome and nice to everyone. In the process, the church is being muzzled and the prophetic tone is being policed. It's very common to hear Christians being lectured about their tone. For instance, how many times have you heard the following statements? People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. I've heard that one a lot. And then another, another one, you will catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And so both of those statements, man, I have heard them a lot from different, even pastors from the pulpit saying, saying these things. And the bottom line is these statements are not from the Bible. They are someone's opinion about how you should do evangelism. You know, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. That, that statement, man, it, it's just a fallacy because like it, it presupposes the, the idea that if you are evangelizing, the reason you are there is because you want this person to know how smart you are, right? They don't care how much you know. You know, when I'm talking to someone, that's the last thing on my mind. I want to communicate the gospel to this person, It's not a matter of me being smarter than them. For all I know, they might have heard what I'm about to say to them before. And so people do not care how much you know until you know how much they they care. What I have seen is as I explain the gospel to people, and I've seen this with other evangelists too, Ray Comfort being the prime example, once you get done explaining the gospel to someone, they understand how much you care. I've had people thank me for explaining things to them so many times. And if you watch Ray's videos, you see that all the time as well. Like by the end of that conversation, they might not believe, they might not care about the Bible, but they do understand that the reason this man came to them and started talking to them is because they care about them. And so this this whole idea, people do not care how much you know until you know how much they care. That is an excuse for a lot of people to to be able to, tell themselves, yeah, I probably shouldn't say any hard truths to people until, at least until they know how much I care. And then that often translates into what's called friendship evangelism. You know, the idea that you cannot preach the gospel to someone until you've earned the right to preach the gospel to them. 
until you've been friends with them for a certain amount of time. And sure, that can happen. You know, it definitely can happen. But more often than not, the Christian ends up caring more about the friendship than they do about the evangelism, and they end up just being silent. When you preach the gospel to someone, you can speak the truth in love, and you can do it in a way where you're not being harsh, you're not being mean, but by no means do you need to try as best you can to come off like a really nice person, like everything's fine. It's kind of hard to talk about hell when you have a fake smile <laughs> on your face anyway. But um, all right, so that's one. People do not care how much you know until you know how much they care. And then the other one, you will catch more flies with honey <laughs> than vinegar. It's like an old saying from a country porch or something, you know. And sure, I get it. If you're nice, people will listen to you more. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we have to speak in, or preach in a, in a certain way. You know, you look at the prophets and, and John the Baptist and, and the description of these guys as, as they were just going for it. They were, they were preaching to unbelievers. And, and they were, you know, John the Baptist, his opening line, brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. That's not, that's not honey. <laughs> that, that is definitely not honey. Sure, there, there is a lot to be said about just the way you talk to people, but at the same time, you, sh- you shouldn't shrink back from having hard conversations. Man, try standing in front of an abortion clinic talking to people, get into an evangelism conversations. Um, it's going to be pretty hard to just be sweet and, and nice all the time. And, and again, you know, it, it's the, the main thing I just want to communicate here is it's not a requirement. It's not a requirement, you know, and I think this article really touches on that really well. Um, and so part of his article here goes into, he's got a bunch of bullet points on things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said. And, you know, going along with the whole winsomeness idea, so often Jesus is kind of pointed to as, you know, Jesus never was mean to people or, or Jesus was always nice. Jesus was love. And, and they got this idea of like just this long hair hippie wearing sandals sitting cross-legged on the beach and, and just, um, you know, passing out Valentine's or something. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible. You know, he, he def, there are definitely a lot of times when he came off as, as just being a very nice, loving, loving person. I mean, he was, he was God in the flesh. He was love in in the flesh. So yeah, he he is our example of love, but that's not all he is. He also did a lot of things that cannot be classified as kind and sweet and 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 winsome. All right? And so Josh did a great job of compiling a list together. He says, "Consider the following record of Jesus's earthly ministry." Jesus's preaching was confused with John the Baptist, who thundered as a blazing prophet of God. And that's in Matthew 14:1. Jesus pronounced woes on the hypocrites in Luke 6. Jesus referred to the Pharisees as vipers, fools, snakes, liars, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, and hypocrites. It's not very winsome. Jesus cleared out the temple court with a whip and overturned tables in John 2. Jesus pronounced judgment on the religious leaders of Jerusalem as greedy, self-indulgent, and wicked sons of the devil, claiming they do not belong to God. And that's in Matthew 8 and Matthew 23. Jesus, he went off on, on these guys. No, nothing about it was winsome or, or, or sweet. Can't see him doing that with a, with a smile on his face. 
Jesus claimed to bring division rather than peace in Luke 12. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, (laughs) in Matthew 16. Jesus called the unbelievers an unbelieving and perverse generation in Luke 9. And Jesus said he came to bring fire on the earth in Luke 12. And then the one thing that so many Christians have a hard time doing is just talking about hell. And yet in Matthew 18, Jesus preached of hellfire for the unrepentant. You don't have to be a sweet, always smiling person every time you do evangelism. You know, we, we definitely want to walk in the spirit. We, we definitely want to live in patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That should be our normal way of life. And yet there are times that just isn't going to apply. It, it's just it's just not always requirement. That's that's the main thing. There's no bib- biblical evidence of that. There's no proof. It's, it's more of a preference issue. And if you are the kind of person who is, is like that naturally, then, then that's great. But it's not right for us to require that of Christians to do evangelism. It's not an issue. If you're a serious person who feels like you're faking it every time you smile, well, then don't smile. You know, speak the truth in love. And, and think about that. You know, we're called to speak the truth in love. What does that mean? So a lot of people take that word in love, and that's where they get the Oh, we got to be nice. We got to be kind. We got to be smiling. You know, if you're a lady, you got to be wearing the flower dress or, or whatever it is that your picture of in love would be. Well, speaking the truth in love just simply means speaking the truth while practicing love, while, while practicing 1 Corinthians 13. Let's check out 1 Corinthians 13 for a minute. This is the description of biblical love. So as I go through this, just just keep this in mind. Is there anywhere in here that says what your countenance or your face needs to look like? Like, like does this have to do with being winsome? Beginning at verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Love does not take into account the wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. In verse 4, it says love is kind. And some people might take that and it's like, see, you got to be kind. You always, you know, but, but again, the word kind is not the same as the word winsomeness and trying to put up this front and always always trying to present yourself as a certain way. No, kindness could be you're giving something to someone in a kind way. If you're talking to a homeless person and in the middle of the conversation, you hand them something, you know, maybe you hand them some brand new socks or whatever you have in your evangelism kit, that is kindness. You're being kind to that person. That's different than winsomeness. So I think it's just important to, to, to think about that. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Again, I am not saying that if you're an evangelist, you just need to be tough and you need to be bold and you need to be calling out sin every second of the day. Now, the issue here is just not being one-sided, right? So often I get into conversations with people about God and they're all, God is love, God is love, God is love. And, and I'm like, yeah, but that's not all he is. He's also truth and justice and holiness, Right? And, and the same is true with our walk as a Christian. We can't just focus on one aspect of what we're supposed to be. There are times when we need to 
be straightforward and honest with our spouse. There are times when we need to be straightforward and honest with our children and not being winsome at the moment. And there are times when we need to do that with unbelievers during evangelism as well. So again, great article by Josh Boyce. If you have a problem with it, you should go tell him because I didn't write it. Okay, without any further ado, since there's already been two years of ado, whatever that even means, here is the interview, the the lost, forgotten interview with James White. Let's say me and you are sitting, we're on the sidewalk. We're not sitting out of Temple Square. We're sitting in front of a Catholic church. And someone's listening to us for a while and they say, you know what? They say the Catholic church is the true church ever since Peter. There's always been a pope and, you know, what are you guys doing? Why don't you join the true church? So, so how do you answer the objection of this is the true church, we, we've always been the true church, and, you know, that's, right. that's just how it is? Well, yeah, that's just how it is. And unfortunately, if you're familiar with history itself, then you recognize the development over time of so many of the uh, concepts that now define Roman Catholicism. And so you know, for example, that uh, the papacy as it exists today, even, even uh, Cardinal Newman, if you're familiar with that name, uh, yeah. John Henry Cardinal Newman, who is a convert to Roman Catholicism, he developed what's called the development hypothesis. And he had to because he knew that historically... Uh, there is zero evidence that the Bishop of Rome was, di- was viewed in the way that modern Roman Catholicism views it. This had to have developed over time. So this is a Catholic who had to come up with this theory yes. in order to prove Catholicism. Well, or exactly. Or, or, or at least give you a defense as to why we view the, 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 the Bishop of Rome as we do now, when it's painfully obvious that, for example, there was no single Bishop of Rome for the first... Uh, 110 years of the church. The, the church at Rome had a multiplicity of elders. When Ignatius was going to Rome to be martyred, he did write a letter ahead to the church at Rome. What's interestingly, interesting is while he addressed the bishops of the other churches to whom he wrote, he did not address the bishop, the bishop of the church at Rome because there was no single bishop. They had a plurality of elders, just as the New Testament teaches you're supposed to have. And so these... these things you're talking about, these are things that are documented, yes. you can find these historically, whereas the, the Catholic claim, there's just nothing there. Well, the, the, the Catholic, believe me, Rome has lots of smart people that have lots of time on their hands, yeah. and so they will make counterclaims from all sorts of different sources. The question is, can those uh, counterclaims survive a meaningful analysis in debate? which is why we engage in debate yeah. with Roman Catholics and why you can go online and you can watch the debates we've done, the papacy with uh, Mitchell Pacwa or Robertson Genis or Jerry Matitix. In fact, we did a seven and a half hour debate over two nights wow. during the papal visit to Denver in 1993 with Jerry Matitix. And you can't watch that one, but you can listen to it. Uh, we okay. weren't we weren't quite up to the same technical level back then as we are today. And just so I don't forget, mm-hmm. it, where do I find that? Um, both uh, YouTube and Sermon Audio. Okay. Uh, Sermon Audio. Pretty much all of my debates that we actually have. We've actually lost a few debates. Uh, the tapes have disappeared or whatever. Uh, but uh, pretty much all the debates I have are available on Sermon Audio. 
Um, okay. So you can you can listen to those debates, see how the presentation can be made, see how it survives cross examination. That's really to me the ultimate test. Yeah, is can it survive cross examination? It's easy for someone to make a claim and sound really, you know, good about it. If no one's asking them to if prove no it, no one is them. exactly. That's the that's the value of debate. Yeah, is the ability to engage in cross examination, and that's where that's where the debate takes place because you can have one side sounds real good when they make their presentation, other side real good when they make their presentation, but until there is dialogue and question and answer, you you can't you can't make a decision. Mm -hmm. You can go online and listen to listen to one side making their group, another, you know, and just go back and forth like a ping pong ball, right. never come to a conclusion. When they have to sit down and answer each other's questions, that's where the debate has, has the great advantage. Yeah, and if you're listening to this and you've never heard one of or seen one of James's debates online, I suggest that you do that because you will learn so much about apologetics and also about how to act, how to behave as a Christian <laughs> while you're talking to someone. and, and that Especially when they're not acting as a Christian toward <laughs> well, you. Well, that's, that's actually the next thing I wanted to just kind of get into. I have seen you speaking in so many different situations, um, whether it's in a formal debate or on, in answering to a, a question coming into your show. And one of the things that I just really have always appreciated is your ability to just be in the middle of being roasted by someone who's angry at you or is making some outrageous claim um, that, that just, you know, isn't backed by anything and they're, they're just forcing themselves. And, and basically, just your ability to be very calm and focused and keep to the issue in the middle of all that. And one of the questions I get asked a lot, because I teach an evangelism class at my church, one of the questions is, how do you not get mad? How do you <laughs> keep cool? Um, and I know for you, from things I've heard in the past, it really, it really has to do with a, it seems like a lordship issue. Like you are conducting yourself in a way that, that your Lord um, demands of you or would want of you. You're, you're yeah. doing, doing things in a way to where you're just, you know, to put it simply, you're acting like a Christian in the middle of answering this, these questions. So if you could give us any just kind of insight or just something you think of when it comes to that whole issue of just acting like a Christian in the midst of being attacked or, or you know. Well, it, you know, um, some of it is just how you're built. Some people mm. respond uh, very negatively to uh, attack and to vitriol and so on and so forth. Um, I discovered when... I first debated Jerry Mattatix in August of 1990, my first moderated public debate, that when my opponent starts getting nasty and starts throwing out strange stuff and starts violating the rules of the debate, I just become more calm because mm. I figure I'm winning. Right. Um, so why get in the way? The audience is figuring it uh, out. Well, there, I have there's... to trust that. There, no, I realize there are going to be people in the audience. I realize going into any debate that there are certain people on my side that are not going to hear a word the other guy oh, that, that, so true. that the other guy says, and there's people on his side that are not going to hear a word that I have to say. So I can't even worry about that. I, yeah. I don't even factor that in. It's the people in the middle that actually are weighing stuff. They're the ones that I'm most concerned mm -hmm. about, and therefore, if they start doing the things that they're doing, um, I'm just—it's like rope. Here, <laughs> yeah, you, you want some more? You want some more? Right. Great, fine. Because if if I start acting like them then I'm getting in the way of what the Lord's doing uh, in, that, in that sense. So we discovered 
early on that the nastier the other side gets, the more focused I become. I just become more focused upon the subject of the debate, the topic of the debate, taking the arguments apart, exposing the presuppositions, um, and just and just going from there. So, you know, I there there are certain standards that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to uphold, and you can't get down and wrestle in the mud hmm. in the same way as other people. And now, are there times that gives them an advantage? Yeah. There, there are times when that gives the other side uh, an advantage, but you have to, you just have to leave it to the Lord. Uh, mm. I want to leave behind a legacy of, of material that will be beneficial to the next couple of generations. Mm. And the problem is, if you give in even once uh, to that temptation, that's what people are going to look at. They're not. Yeah. You could resist it 99 times bite. out of 100. That that one soundbite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unfortunately how it works. Okay, starting to get a little loud around here. I got, I got uh, one, more, one more question, and this is one that just constantly comes up, not, not only from people that I might talk to, people who are in a cult, or, and also the Christians in my church. One of the main questions I get is, what do you do with Acts 2.38, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I can tell you've never had to answer this before. No, but, I, but if you go, you go down south and debate the Church of Christ folks, they can yeah. literally do three-night debates on Acts 2.38. Wow. And I'm, I'm just like, I will never do that because it is a single verse in a single context, and if you can't see that that needs to be taken within the context of entire books on mm. the subject of justification, like Romans or something like that, um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to convince you otherwise. And yeah. so, you know, and Acts two thirty eight actually has implications beyond just the concept of baptismal regeneration or uh, baptism for salvation, something along those lines. Uh, it actually comes up in other contexts in regards to who the promise is to be given to. This huh. this promise is to you and to your children. My my Presbyterian brothers like to um, use that. Right. And forget that the rest of the verse says, and to as many as the Lord God shall draw unto himself. Mm. So to you and your children becomes the basis of baptizing children of the covenant promise. But what happened to, and to as many as the Lord your God shall draw unto himself. So it is important to be able to give a meaningful interpretation. It is important to be able to discuss what's going on in Acts chapter 2. These are Jews responding to a Jewish presentation that they have crucified their Messiah. They are pierced to the heart. What shall we do? Um, and basically they're thinking, if we've crucified the Messiah, we're done. Hmm. There is, there is, that's it. Yeah. So repent and believe. Your sins still can be washed away. Repentance is still possible. You did, you'd, you, uh, there, you are not outside the, the range of help. There is, there, is, there is truth for you. There is good news for you. Um, that's what they needed here. Yeah. But what's also in the promise is, and this, this promise isn't just for you and your children, that is the Jews, but for as many as the Lord God will call himself, Gentiles. And so here you see Peter at the beginning, he's not going to be consistent in Acts 10 until you have to drop a sheet on his head three times. Mm. But even Peter is understanding Yes, this is a message that is to go out to, to all. Um, and uh, Jesus had taught that, but man, it took a lot of effort to get the apostles to really see what that was going to mean in the, in, the long, in the long haul. So, yeah, 
the vast majority of verses, James 2, if you're talking with Mormons, they want to do James 2.20. Um, John, uh, John 14.28 with, uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses. They will have these verses partially memorized. Right. But the vast majority of them do not know what the context of it is. Well, that's one thing I've learned, if anything, from your programs is just the majority of apologetic arguments are going to come down to read the whole thing in its context, figure out what it's talking about, and it's going to be something else. Educate, but, educate the, you have to be able to educate the person, and they can tell whether you are just giving a, you know, some sort of a surface level answer or whether yeah. you really have dealt with the text in its context. They can tell. And if they can tell you know what you're talking about, you're probably, you're probably going to end up controlling the conversation. Yeah. That's been my experience. Okay. Well, thank you so much for answering these questions. I will let you get back to uh, schmoozing or whatever you do here. I Actually, I'm preaching at 9 o'clock in the morning, so I've oh, awesome. got to go finish my sermon. Okay. <laughs> well, I will be there. Well, th thanks again so much. Thank you very much. God bless. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a good review on iTunes. This is the best way for others to notice Romans Road and give it a listen. The more Christians listening and learning how to evangelize, the more we glorify the Lord. Ray Comfort here. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to do so now. On your phone's podcast app, search for Romans Road, and when you find it, hit subscribe. It's free, and by doing so, you'll get all episodes past, present, and future. Then when you're finished, head over to livingwaters.com for a huge collection of evangelism videos, articles, tracks, and resources to help you share the gospel with those around you. That's livingwaters.com. Thanks for listening to Roman's Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time. Yeah.